friends. Hello, hello, hello. That was probably the sweetest introduction I have ever heard in my whole entire life. Um, what an honor it is to be here. So like Leslie said, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist in Tallahassee, Florida. My husband and I have a practice called New Hope Counseling in Tallahassee. Um, we're going to go a little bit into my story um, but really, I wanted to give a lot of particulars that would probably help. I have, my entire life's journey right up to this point has been to figure out the concept of forgiveness and anger and healing. Because if I don't have it, I'm not living. And I, I will be stuck in the grave. So it's been my tremendous, it's been a real privilege and a life's work. Um, and it is an incredibly humbling honor to be here with you to share these glimpses of truth that, um, that we're going to explore tonight. So, um, like Leslie said, my husband, Tom, he's my tall drink of water. We've been married for, somebody do the math for me. We got married in 2007. What year are we? It'll be 15 years in August. Um, and I have an 11-year-old daughter named Bella and a 9-year-old daughter named Mercy, and they are my heartbeats. Um, so it's a real privilege to be here. My goals for tonight, dear ones, is that you would be so deeply convinced of Jesus' kindness towards you with the story that you bear. And that you would feel his tremendous kindness towards you with the sin that you carry. That's my goal. So if that can happen, we can all go home. Um, so let's get to work. Let me pray for us and then we'll get started. Jesus, Father of all mercies, God of all comfort, we pray that you would come descend upon us, we pray. Give us understanding, enlighten our eyes, give us knowledge that would move our hearts towards repentance and change. We pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus, amen. So... As Leslie said, I'm going to set up our time together. I'm just going to talk for probably 20 minutes. So if you can stay with me for 20 minutes, I am going to, it's going to feel a little bit content heavy. Um, but then we'll have some question and answers so that um, maybe if, if I say something that doesn't make sense, please feel free. Shout it out. I don't care. Do whatever you want. Wait till question and answer. Um, I'm easy peasy. So we're going to start, um, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 61 if if you don't know where Isaiah is in your Bible, kind of open up right in the middle. Mine is page 620, but I don't think that helps anybody. <laughs> so, um, Isaiah chapter 61, and we're going to be reading um, verses 1 through 4. I think it's on, we might have a slide if you don't have a Bible. Um, so, let me, let me read this. Over us and to our hearts, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day, to, day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of a spirit of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planning of the Lord that he may be glorified. They shall build up 
the ancient ruins, and they shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities and the devastation of many generations. When we think about this whole passage, um, I want to kind of bring in a couple of contexts to give you understanding. So um, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus walks into the temple, and he opens up the scroll, and he reads this passage, and he says, today, this is fulfilled in your presence. So if you belong to the Lord Jesus, I just need to name some things about you that are true. You have been set free. And these things, if you are poor, you got good news. If you have been brokenhearted, he's, he's binding you up. These are present tense verbs in, in Luke 4 when Jesus talks about it. If you are held captive, you're now going to be set free. There's all of these beautiful proclamations that Jesus says that today you're going to be set free because I'm here. So if you belong to the Lord Jesus, I just want to name for you the path forward is a path of breaking free, okay? Um, in Isaiah 61, verse 4, if we look at that, they shall build up the ancient ruins and raise up the former devastations, repair the ruined cities, the dev devastations of many generations. That's really where we're going to be tonight. And I want us to use some biblical imagination a little bit. I think this would probably be helpful. In Isaiah 50, 58, verse 14, um, it basically says, it's kind of paralleling a lot of this concept. Um, and, and the idea in Isaiah 58, 14 is this, that it's the repairing of the breach, okay? It's kind of that idea of repairing the breach or the place, and this is kind of my little bit interpretation using some biblical imagination, the place where evil was allowed in. Okay, and that Jesus wants to come in that place where evil was allowed in. I really want us to use kind of a, an idea. I need you to kind of picture um, a beautiful city, okay? But now I need you to put bombs all over it and devastate it, okay? So there's smoldering, you know, there's kind of the air is really thick and foggy. Um, there's, you know, huge bricks and boulders kind of strewn all throughout. And when Jesus is talking about Isaiah 61, that the mercy to you in your path of healing is that he wants to help you re rebuild those places. And the picture, when I, when I think about this, um, this entire movement, that I'm he is asking me to go with him to rebuild these places that are so devastated by trauma and sorrow and wound and generational crap. And it's kind of this bending down and brick by brick, he just asks us to maybe blow off the dust and picture what it could be like to rebuild a city. And I need that kind of, if you guys can have that in the back of your mind, that's where we're going to go. Um, I would say this, as a therapist, it's going to feel pretty practical, um, and I'd lean in pretty hard to the practical, because to me, the rebuilding right now in our generation, it feels, it feels important to name. There's, uh, we call them the three A's um, of what I would call is generational dysfunction and generational trauma that kind of gets passed down from generation to generation. Um, you, you've got the three A's, addiction, 
abuse, and adultery. And if you don't get in front of those, it, it, you, can, you can look at it, it's called a genogram. It's called a family genogram. You can map out your story, go up three generations, and you can literally see these patterns that get transferred um, from generation to generation. And I, I mean, I would say as a therapist, but as a believer, it does feel like the Lord Jesus is calling us to get in front of that, to stop and to make sure that our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids are protected from that. And there are things that we can do. Um, I would say a pretty important thing that I deal with on an almost a day-to-day -day basis is another generational pattern that gets really in the way that a lot of people don't aren't paying attention to. And I call it conflict mismanagement. And so if we can pull up that next slide, guys, that would be really helpful. So this is what um, you, we kind of term as the um, conflict spectrum, okay? So on the left side, you see attack, and on the right side, you see avoid, and then the middle, confide. And that these are kind of how we respond to conflict unless we know how to do it better, right? These are kind of these patterned ways that we kind of do and move into conflict. And attack is really that place of... Um, I really kind of want you to see it like in a really kind of um, very practical way. So say you get in an argument with your spouse or your roommate or your sister, somebody that's close, and they say something, and you're like, let's go. We're going to fight. And you grab your bazooka, and you aim it at their face, okay? And you launch it, and you want to hit them hard. You really want to get them. That's kind of the attack mode. It is meant to, I need you to hear me say this, it's meant to silence them, okay? This idea of attack, it's meant to silence the other person. The avoid spectrum is kind of, this is how I, this is how I name avoid. <sighs> Slam the door. <sighs> and you don't say anything. But you know it's there, and you go to bed, and it festers, and you don't say anything because you don't know how to talk about it. And avoid is really that place of it's meant to silence your own heart, okay? So you've got attack where you silence the other. You have avoid where you silence your own heart. You all with me? And now I would say this, like I would say, like before I met my Tom, I was very much an avoider. I did not know how to do conflict. And then I got married, and it was like, here I am, you know. And my poor Tom, I mean, we, we had to go to marriage counseling. And I'm a marriage therapist. How's that set? Um, just honest. I mean, it, it's kind of this move of depending on who you're with, you're really you kind of get stuck in these places. We really had to learn how to confide. And that concept of confiding is this. It's, it's entrusting someone with the safekeeping of something. Okay? Um, I would say you have to confide with someone who is safe. You cannot entrust something that has to be safely kept with someone who's not safe. You with me? So I just want, that has to be nuanced. I'm not saying that we need to confide with everybody. That would be really naive. And you'd be throwing yourself over a cliff. That's not, 
that's not kind to your body and it's not kind to your soul. Um, so it's this. I would say confiding is actually you using your voice because you're not silencing them and you're not silencing your heart. It's actually this move of goodness where you're actually being healed. And there's this beautiful concept of interpersonal neurobiology, uh, and I know that's a lot of words, um, but it is this beautiful concept. Basically, how does your brain heal? And it is actually possible. I mean, the Lord has set forth these things, and interpersonal neurobiology is like a couple of decades old conceptually, but it is really ancient because it's right here. Um, so let's talk through how do you confide, okay? Yes, we know that that's a good movement, but how do you confide? I would say this, if we do not slow down the process enough, because you start, you start to do this and you get in a conflict, let's say you go home tonight and let's just maybe say that the dishes haven't been put up or the garbage maybe hasn't been taken out or the kids got a wet diaper or messy one, um, or there's stuff strewn all over the den. I thought I was leaving you and you were going to help me with this. You with me? I don't know if that, can anybody relate? <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, you can really kind of go to those places really quickly. So it's kind of that idea, if we can slow the process down enough, you can start to catch this. So this is generally what happens to the brain. I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but can we pull up the next slide, guys? Um, and this is this. Okay, and I'm, I know these are kind of, let me just explain some of this, and then I think it'll make sense. When emotionality, when your emotions rise, okay, when it's either anger, usually it's anger, it's some kind of trigger that you have, some kind of tension that rises, when emotionality rises, believability decreases. And that believability is, can I believe what they are saying? Okay? Is, is what they're saying actually true? Okay? So it's kind of this idea. Um, it would probably help if you thought about what a most recent conflict that you had. Okay? And the emotionality starting to ride. You can start to feel the tension. They're not listening to what I'm saying and the movement's starting to happen and your, your emotionality starting to rise. And let's say the other person kind of has a soft moment and they go, oh yeah, I see what you're saying. And you're like, no, you don't. You don't understand what I'm saying because it was just a real quick flip. I need you to know from a neurological standpoint, that is when your emotionality, you are way too high to actually believe what it is that they're saying. You with me? So emotionality, believability goes low. And then here's one of the most important concepts is that you, it's an inability to anchor into who the person is. Because what has happened from a brain perspective is that now you're starting to fight some angry ghosts. Somebody else is in the room, y'all. And it's not your spouse. And it's not your best friend. And it's not your daughter. And it's not your son. It's somebody else that has borne this place of how you have engaged in conflict and some of, something has dovetailed where it's felt so similar that you start to fight something that hasn't yet been resolved. Everybody with me? Everybody with me? Okay. So the idea is here on this. In order to rebuild this place, because this is, this is one of the most important places that gets passed down. 
if, if everyone could do conflict well, this would be a completely different world, right? Because there's a lot of, you know, slamming the doors, nobody says what they're feeling, and Thanksgiving's terrible for 22 years. You know what I'm saying? Or you constantly are getting in these massive rage arguments and you don't know how to get out of it, okay? So it's kind of this idea of how do we slow this down and rebuild this place um, in order to have some sense of healing. And this is, this is I, I fully believe this. I, I have felt this internally and watched it with the, the, I, the people that I work with, the incredible privilege to work with them. These, some of these things have felt um, like some really good takeaways. The first thing is this. You need to know who you are and know where you come from and your triggers. If you do not know who you are, where you have come from, and what your triggers are, I'm just telling you, you're gonna fly. There's no way to catch your emotionality. And what I mean by that is know who you are, meaning where do you land on that spectrum? You know, do you tend to flow towards the place of like, <sighs> in conflict? And you go to bed and without saying anything, is that kind of your tendency or, or are you bazooka-like? You've got to know where you land on that spectrum, okay? Um, so know who you are, what you've come from, and know your triggers. The second thing, and I'm not trying to like throw a bunch of stuff on y'all, but it feels important. Um, pay attention to your body because when, you're, when your emotionality starts to rise, I need you to know this. Do y'all mind if I go just like give you like 15 seconds of yummy brain stuff? Is that okay? So if this is, this is your brain stem, this is your limbic system in your brain, and this is your prefrontal cortex. When you feel the felt sense of something starting to rise, guess what it hits first? Your limbic system, this is your fight, flight, freeze. And if you have not dealt with and healed some of these past wounds that have automatically, they just keep knocking you in the place of fight, flight, freeze, fight, flight, freeze, fight, flight, freeze. And these are traumatic responses. Guess what happens? Your prefrontal cortex goes offline. And you cannot, log this is your logic thinking brain. You can't logically think through it. That's why when you get in conflicts with, with, with somebody that you love and somebody that feels trustworthy but y'all keep getting in the same spaces, Something keeps getting triggered right here that's throwing you offline and you can't think through it well. So one way of this, is a, I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but one really simple way to do this is if you breathe. Just breathe really deeply. Hold it, five seconds, release five seconds. Inhale five seconds, hold it for a couple of seconds, release it for five seconds. Do it five times, five, 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 Okay. And it actually slows down what's called your polyvagal nerve. And it's the nerve that's connected from right here in the back of your brainstem, heart, stomach, and bowels. And if you slow it down, instead of it being a fast-moving train, it starts to regulate and you start to come online again. That's one that's ground yourself and pay attention to your body because your body is trying to tell you something on how, like, this feels like it's too much, right? And if you breathe... Just pay attention to your breathing. Um, the other one is, is I need you to start asking the question, who am I in conflict with? And you may be actually saying, no, I'm in conflict with my spouse. I'm in conflict with my roommate. I'm in conflict with 
with my sibling. I'm in conflict with my daughter or son. I'm in conflict with whoever. And you may be able to tell me that, but I'm, I'm asking both that question of like, who's right in front of you and who else is in the room, right? Because if you can start to name who else is in the room, then we're doing some really good story work. And you're like, you know, when you say that to me, that makes me think of this, you know, and, and, they, and they feel trustworthy. Now we're in the confiding place. Everybody with me? Okay. Um, here's another thing. I would say kind, rebuilding takes an incredible amount of time. And the, the mercy of God is that he is so patient. He is never impatient with our healing, ever. He's never like, oh my gosh, again. Jesus is never saying that. He is the one who it doesn't matter how many times you leave, he comes to find you. That is the remarkable love of God. And as much as we can remember that and pull that in, it will be a kindness to our hearts to be able to continue to process. Because what you're really trying to do in that space is like push away some shame of like, oh my gosh, why can't I get a hold of this? This feels like I'm just like doing it over and over and over again. And Jesus, you are, you are, and I'm here and I haven't left. And the minute that that really starts to take hold, some shame starts to abate and now we're able to actually press in. Um, this is one of the final ones is this. Um, as we repair with God and others, as the repair with God happens where we really start to understand the love of God and we start to actually repair with other people, then there's this place of so does your healing. Because this neurological beauty is that Jesus has created this thing called neuroplasticity where your brain can actually heal and it doesn't matter how old you are. I don't care if you're 80. I don't care if you're 90. I don't care if you're two. Wherever you are, your brain is meant to heal. God has given us an incredible path into that space. This is some of the process of going from ruins to a city set on a hill. Going from beauty, going from ashes to beauty. Going from places long devastated to an incredible Playland for people, okay? Um, I, this is the mercy of God. May it be true for you. And we're going to move into question and answer. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. Mighty to save. No matter your devastation, he is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. And he will rejoice over you with singing my friends, we're going to move into a, a time of question and answer. And then, Beth, is it the QR code? They can just, they can text that. Um, so if we can start popping up some questions, let's see. I don't have my glasses. How does an avoider get to a good place with an attacker? Whoa, dang! Uh, next! Just kidding. <laughs> How does an avoider get to a good place with an attacker? That's a really good question. Um, let, me, let me set up a little bit. If you, if you are both safe, so I would say this. My husband, my Tom, is, he's more of an avoider, and I'm more of an attacker. Over time, we've done what's called earned secure attachment. I have seen his trustworthiness over time, and it has actually like, oh, okay, like, I can actually start to look at my 
Um, and he can start to look at his just by the nature of the kindness offered between us, right? I mean, it's kind of this idea of if you are with a safe person, I would say, okay, that, that has to be underlined. If, big old circle around it, if you're with a safe person who's not going to flip it back on you and be like, it's your fault, right? If they don't put it back on you and they actually, you can see places where they own responsibility and they're actually repentant, I think you can actually just start talking about it. And you can actually slow down the process enough to go, you know, that makes me feel really uncomfortable. I would say the journey for the avoider is actually using your voice and the journey for the attacker is learning how to restrain it. Okay, does that make sense? I hope that answers your question. Anybody wanna ask a follow-up to that question? If you, if you want to, just shout it out. Okay, next question. Is it, is it possible my relational conflicts are tied to wounds from my story? And if so, what should I do about that? What a vulnerable question. Oh my gosh, I want to hug whoever wrote this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, your, your relational conflicts are absolutely tied to wounds from your story because your emotionality is tied to, to wounds of, you know, I've got a very particular story. And when I hear a particular accusation, I fly off the handle quicker than I could touch my nose, right? And it's so particular to my story. It may be one of, um, you know, you didn't measure up. It may be one of, um, you're a burden. Whenever I hear those particular accusations that are launched at me, it's absolutely connected to my wounds. So then the, the, the second part of that is, what should I do about that? And I think we'll probably get to some of this. Um, with. So just so you'll know, I, I haven't seen any of these questions. I didn't want to, because I wanted it to be like a conversation, like we're just doing it together. Um, we'll get to the last question that I have seen. This is, to start it, um, what should I do about that? Um, as much as you can start to name the wound, then you can start to heal from the wound because there's this concept, you cannot heal what you do not name. And that's, that's the gift of God. He has given us the gift of language to be able to continue and push into these places where we've needed healing you cannot heal what you do not name. And if you want to press into it, the offering is shalom. The offering is flourishing for you in a field of grace and mercy poured out for you and lavished upon you. But to have the very first initiating conversation just in terms of courage, I just want to name that, that it takes a lot of courage to start the process. But once you start the process, it does feel like in some ways it's like a snowball effect. You know, you start out with something really small and then it starts to accumulate and you're actually able to start to get some measurable things that you can go, oh, I think I'm changing here. Like we used to get in a conflict, you know, six times a month and now we're only getting in a conflict four times a month, which may not sound like a lot, but that's, what is that, 20% decrease? It's really significant. All right, next question. 
how do you rebuild the three A's specifically? Adultery has been my fam has been in my family for three generations. Oh, beautiful soul. Um, just as full disclaimer, me too. Me too. And it is a really hard journey. One thing that, um, that Tom and I have done is to name it with a lot of fierceness and to put a lot of boundaries around our relationship. And I'm talking not every, I'm talking everything from like covenant eyes, you know, you know, on the internet. I'm also talking, we don't get in intimate conversations with the opposite sex unless the other person's there. I mean, we've had to put, we had to think through a lot of boundaries and just have, have a really open and honest conversation about, you know, when things happen to be able to come to the other person and, and start to say something's bubbling. Um, it is possible, it's absolutely possible to rebuild that. Um, and, and to, you're going to have to process, to me, it's like looking up at, the, at this generation, at the generation above you, and process the grief and the wound that happened to you as a child with having to hold that and what that weight is like for you to hold. If your parents are willing to talk about it, if maybe you have a mother or a father that's willing to talk about it, it actually can help release some of that grief if they're going to be honest. And it can help you know that you're not the only one that was trying to block and hold, but you, you'll be able to see kind of intergenerationally like, well, is there a pattern? And, and what particularly is the pattern? All right, let's move to the next one. How do you identify triggers, especially when new things pop up all the time because you have suppressed things for so long? You guys are like the most tender-hearted group of people I know. What a vulnerable question. How do you identify triggers, especially when new things pop up all the time because you have suppressed for so long? I think this would be the really tender space for you just to allow your body to start paying attention to what you're paying attention to, right? It's kind of that idea of pay attention to what you're paying attention to. It's kind of what you would do in counseling 101, how to slow down the process enough is pay, start paying attention to what you're paying attention to because I promise you, you're paying attention to it, but you're probably so used to hiding it or deflecting it or pushing it away or not kind of dancing around it. Um, I would say, how do you identify triggers? You're kind of looking for what are the places where you start to, I mean, it pops up real fast. You know, where are the places where you go from zero to 10 on a 10 scale in terms of anger? Where are the places that you, maybe you hear a story or um, a friend is responding to you? Where are the places where you're like, you know, you're like, I got to get out of here right? You, you, there's this move of like, you're trying to find these really intense places of escape. That's, I can go ahead and tell you that's going to be a trigger. Um, we can go ahead and name that as a place of like, okay, so conceptually, if it's, um, let's see, um, every time you hear a story of, I'm not trying to be like super heavy around this place, you know, around this idea, but let's say every time you hear a story of sexual abuse, 
and you haven't really like dealt and, and listened to these places that need to be healed. And every time you hear a story of sexual abuse, of you know the Catholic scandal, the you know all the other you know Protestant scandals, all these places, and it's like you can't even finish listening to the podcast because you just want to punch a wall or you want to throw up. It is likely that that is that could be part of your story, and, and and important, or it could just be that you have a really high sense of justice. I'm not trying to like put thoughts in your mind, but it is if you if you fly off really quick, it is usually an important um, indicator of triggers. Okay, how much time? I can somebody let me know how much time we have. I can't remember. Keep going. Beth just said keep going. Okay. How do you manage or approach conflict with loved ones or family members in your life who are unsafe? <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Okay, I'm just going to tell you this is like one of the most important questions that I feel like might be, might be asked. Here's why. Too often the church kind of is like, forgive and forget, just do it. Just swallow it. You're a Christian. You need to just move on, show them the love of Jesus. I'm just going to, let me, let, me, let me kind of slow that down a little bit. Proverbs 14, 7 says this, leave the presence of a fool, otherwise you're not going to be able to discern words of truth. Proverbs 14, 7, what was that? Okay, okay, here I come. Where am I going? Um, Leave the presence of a fool, otherwise you're not going to be able to discern words of truth. Now, I will say this. It takes a lot of work for you to, let's not, I don't want to be too quick to label, okay? We don't want to be too quick to label, but if it's them and if it's true of them in terms of sinner, fool, or evil, and kind of where the book of Proverbs talks through, you've really got to start, if you, you cannot name you cannot heal what you do not name. And so you've got to really know who it is that you're talking to. There, we're going to get to this in, in a second. And we're, I'll share some resources. There's a great book called Bold Love. And it's by Dan Allender. Um, and he really slowly goes through the book of Proverbs. It's, pro, it's top three books I've ever read in my entire life. Because it was like, you know, put a lot of context to these places that have felt really foggy. Like it, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, didn't Jesus walk away from the Didn't he call the Pharisees a whitewashed tomb? And that doesn't sound very Jesus-like, Jesus. You know what I'm saying? But it was because he was categorically, he was seeing them for what they were, that they did not have a humble heart, uh, a heart that accepted responsibility for when they wounded someone else. They did not have a heart of repentance. And so there was this place. There's another great book um, that I've actually just finished. There's a couple of places where I might disagree a little bit called When to Walk Away. Um, and it's actually, it, it's actually a really helpful book if you're just kind of starting a journey, starting the journey on um, how to deal with unsafe family members. You really want to kind of, I will say this, Jesus, you know, calls us to deal with um, relationship with God, others, and self. Kind of that Trinitarian theology that Jesus interacted with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and himself. And it's kind of gets to be this place of movement with us that we have three places of relationship. God the Father, God, uh, I mean, uh, relationship with God, relationship with others, and relationship with ourselves. And a lot of the times the church does not talk about your relationship with yourself and that it's okay to walk away 
when you're with someone who is abusing you. They just, I mean, it's, it's kind of like this, I think we're coming out of it now, um, but by and large, Christendom usually does not encourage that at all. They just say kind of um, put your head in the guillotine and just go ahead and die, um, which is just, I don't know that the Lord calls us to do that. Um, Jesus knew what his time was and when his time was before he died. There was over 25 times in the New Testament where Jesus walked away, okay? 25 I would say that kind of gives us permission in some ways. Um, let's move to the next one. Uh, it'll come. Yep. Oh, what's, what are my top three books? Um, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Uh, Bold Love. And right now it's, it's Andy Colber's book, and it'll be up here in just a second called Try Softer. All right, let's move to this question. How do you rebuild if abuse is in your generational curse? I'm talking sexual abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse. It has all been in my family. I don't want to continue the verbal and emotional abuse with my kids, but find it so hard. Oh, you beautiful saint. Mercy to you. Mercy to you for even asking the question. If you are holding sexual abuse, emotional abuse, and verbal abuse, I would beseech you to get some people around you. And I'm not just talking about friendship, I'm also talking about a therapist, because these, these are really particular in your story, and you're gonna have to have some specialization around these, these topics and conversation. Um, there's a really good resource called Wounded Heart by Dan Allender, um, where he really engages in three primary topics on powerlessness, ambivalence, and betrayal. I don't know where my cheat sheet went. Um, powerlessness, ambivalence, and betrayal. And those are really kind of the three main topics that you're dealing with when you're thinking of, around abuse. So it is the kind of the fallout for someone who is a victim of abuse is holding the place of powerlessness because you didn't have, how could you push? You couldn't, you didn't have an escape and a way out. Powerlessness, ambivalence, which is that place of holding two emotions at the same time. And when we, we're not meant to do this, you know, where you're holding joy and sorrow or arousal for, with regards to sexual abuse, arousal and hatred for the person who's doing that to you. And when you have to hold that, it literally, it just splits the soul and creates this huge cavern and you're living in, in, in that death because what people often do is they usually process one emotion over the other and there's not really a balance to it where you're actually naming both of the emotions at the same time and so you'll just process the hate of the abuser and then what ends up happening is that you end up hating your body and like nuancing that and having to kind of unpack that in terms of responsibility because it was not your responsibility but I can sit here and tell you this but I would need to look at you in the eyes for you to experience my sorrow over you that you are carrying this and in relationship a lot of the times our our traumas are healed so that's why it's like you got to have a lot of people around you that know your story and that can hold this okay let's move to the next one Beth are we okay in time you're okay what happens if you can't remember the pain that you know is there 
how will you ever be able to heal it if you can't name it? What a brilliant question. You guys are so wonderful. This is how I talk about this. You don't have to have a very specific memory, like this person did this to me and this was the result, okay? Where you're really looking is trying to look for trails behind you. So um, if you can't remember, if you don't know um, what happens, if you can't remember the pain that you know is there, how will you ever be able to heal it? You kind of just have to start looking around, okay? You got to look for places of like when you, you know, your body kind of pops up with, what do you, why do you get so angry around the dishwasher? Like, there's a really particular story there. You may not know it, but, you know, if it's around that and if it's maybe another, around another household chore, then maybe there was, like, some high, strict movement in your family that you felt like you got the iron fist every time. And you're just looking for trails of, like, well, I kind of get popped up here. You know, I kind of fly up into emotionality in that particular place, and that's what's really hard that's where you just got to start. It's kind of that idea of, remember, you start to feel the felt sense. And what gets you stuck right here? You just kind of got to start paying attention to places where you feel stuck. And that that's going to help you name, I feel stuck here. I've, I've worked with a lot of people who don't have specific memories. That's okay. It's okay. We just look for patterns. Like, how does your mom treat you now? She's like, I think this has to do with my mom but I'm not totally sure. Okay, well, how does she treat you now? Well, you know, I don't feel like I can ever do anything right around her. I always feel cr criticized. I, I feel like in some ways she's got me by the neck. I'm like, that's telling me a lot. And likely it has been that way all along, but we've got to just start paying attention. Are there patterns that have moved you into that place that give you, that's kind of shaped that and understanding of it? Let's go to the next one. Um, what if I can't find or afford a counselor? What steps can I take to move towards healing? It's a really tender and beautiful question. Um, um, I would say there's a couple of things that I would say. Um, one of the first things is if you can begin to name your story, and it can even be in a journal. I know this is going to sound a little bizarre, but I, you need to stay with me. Just the research is showing, even if you tell your story, if nobody feels safe right now, even if you tell your story to a journal or you tell your story to a pet, someone that feels like you can almost feel like this tender safety with them, you may not be able to put a whole lot of words around why that is, but if you can start to name your story with these particular places, a lot of the times... I know that sounds bizarre, but the research is showing if you can write out your story and then start to put emotions that you were feeling about those places, like when this happened, I felt this, and then this happened, and I felt this, it actually starts to connect your left and right brain. And those are the places, your right brain is really kind of where that trauma's getting stuck is those places of emotional experience that you just keep, it's like the movie reel just keep playing over and over and over again. I would say um, that I, I think the staff here is very trustworthy. 
and um, they would likely have a lot of resources to kind of share with you and give to you. We're going to put up real quick the um, resource list. These are um, these are not substitutes for therapy, um, but these will certainly start you on the journey. The Being Known podcast is, I feel incredibly shepherded and held every time I listen to this podcast. It's a hard one. They're, this season right now, they're talking about trauma, um, and you certainly, you may, you may need to leave space for taking a nap afterwards because it can be really heavy. Try Softer is one of the most important books that I've read probably in the last 10 years, and it's just basically, how do I be kind to my heart? And she gives really practical examples. Gentle and Lowly um, is a really, it's a really um, kind, exegetical way of looking at the scriptures on how Jesus bent to the vulnerable. And then Bold Love is um, kind of um, Dan Allender unpacking the book of Proverbs. Um, my dear ones, I want to leave you with an invitation as we kind of move into this place of worship that as, as we look at these places of um, invitations of healing for you and these places of rebuilding the ancient ruins, the places that have been long devastated, where evil has been let in, these breaches that have come. You know, I have this really tender picture of the Lord Jesus kind of stooping down as you're picking up one of those big boulders and him so gently rubbing your back and tenderly saying, what do you want to do with this? You can do whatever you want. I'm here with you. I can help carry it. We can put it over here. We can start to rebuild here. But the invitation is yours for healing, and he will stay as long as he needs to to rebuild whatever it was that was broken. Let me pray for us. Father, in your mercies, in your tender mercies, God of sorrows, the one who has shepherded our hearts from absolute death and destruction to resurrection, we pray, Father, that you would help us to see and lift our heads and show us places, Lord Jesus, where the invitation is that you long for healing for us. You want shalom for us. You want flourishing for us. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you come open up our eyes, unstop our ears, loosen our tongues, that we might begin to proclaim and name these places where you have invited us for healing. In Jesus' name.